Well, it is good to be with you here this morning. I want to invite you to uh, use your Bibles today because we'll be in them. Uh, We'll be in Mark chapter 14 to begin with. So if you want to get prepped for that, you can. Mark chapter 14. I want to talk to you today about temptation. Have you ever considered that the Bible is a lot about temptation? I mean, basically from the very beginning, except for the first couple of chapters with the creation of man, from Genesis 3 on, all the way through Revelation, it's all about humans being tempted and God trying to save them from temptation. If you agree with that, say amen. So it's just a lot about temptation and how we're to deal with it, how we're to resist it, how we're to overcome it. And in a very real sense, your own personal story is about how you deal with temptation. It's the science of salvation is about how do you learn how to surrender and surrender to God and know more of his power and walk less in your own power, how to overcome temptation and live to glorify God. Now, we've got this little term that we all use. Well, he fell into temptation or she fell into temptation. Some people fall into temptation. Some people walk into temptation. They, they plan for it. It reminds me of the story of, of the little boy who was just constantly getting in trouble to and fro to school. He'd walk to school. It reminds me when I was a kid, I used to walk to school and we walked past this creek. And if we took a certain route, we could just walk along the creek the whole way down to, back to home. And that was in the era where they had the pet turtles, the li- you know, these little tiny green turtles. And we were, we were paying good money to get those turtles from this pet store. And I discovered they were all in that creek. And so one, one day, I just saw so many of them. I think it was a bright spring day, and the turtles were out sunning. And I was hopping in that creek, my friend and I, and we were catching those turtles. We weren't thinking about our school clothes. And when we got home, we were covered in mud from head to toe. We were just wet and had trashed our shoes and our school clothes. And we were told never to do that again. Well, we didn't really need to because we had 50 turtles. So we, we were good. <laughs> it paid for itself. But this little boy was told by his dad, don't swim in the pond coming back, going to and from school. You need to stop doing that. And and the son said, okay, daddy. Well, one day he comes home uh, late from school, and his dad's home by then, and his son's got wet hair. And he says, son, where have you been? Well, I was just coming from school. And he says, no, but what did you do on the way home from school? Well, Daddy, I went swimming. Son, didn't I tell you that you're not to swim in that pond coming to and from school? And he said, yes, Daddy, you did. And the dad noticed he had a wet bathing suit with him. And he said, what's that in your hand? He said, well, that's my bathing suit. He said, why why did you swim in the pond? He said, well, I was tempted. And he said, well, why in the world did you have a swimming suit? He said, well, in case I got tempted. And it's sometimes sometimes like that with temptation. You know, we're planning for it. We walk into it. And, you know, from God's perspective, he must feel like that parent sometimes where he's told us not to do something. He tries to warn us not to fall into or walk into temptation. But we do it anyway. And it reminds me of the story of Peter. And that's what I want us to look at today, of the apostle Peter. And there in that famous story, of how he denied his Lord three times. And when you look at that story, you'll see not only did he deny his Lord three times, he was tempted three times, that led to the denials, but he also had three opportunities, three things he could have done 
that would have kept them from falling in or walking into that temptation. So let's begin there in Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14, and we're going to look at verse 27. Begin there in Mark 14, 27, and pick up the story. Now, it's interesting. When you read this story, it's in, it's in I think, all of the Gospels. It may just be three of them, but I think it's in all of them. And each one provides a little different nuance to the story. They give a little different details. Mark is the one that says that the rooster would crow two times. Peter would deny him before the rooster crowed two times. All the other writers, gospel writers, just mentioned the rooster will crow. But here we have it mentioned two times, and that becomes significant later in the story. So we're looking at verses uh, 27 through 31. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I'll go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that today, to you that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he spoke more vehemently, If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said, Likewise. You know, Jesus had, for, for the last week leading up to this, he had been warning, warning the disciples that he was going to Jerusalem and that he was going to be crucified. He told them he was going to be arrested, he was going to be tried, and he was going to be crucified, but he would raise, rise up the third day. He would warned them of this many times, but now here we are on the eve of his crucifixion. This is Thursday evening. And he again warns them. And by this time, they'd heard it enough, but they had decided, no, this could not be. You know, it's, it's, sometimes people just want to deny the reality. <laughs> and, and this is what they were doing. They're wanting to deny the reality of what Jesus was telling them. They just couldn't comprehend it. And so Peter says, if I have to die with you, I'll die with you. And we'll see later in the story where earlier Jesus had told them, didn't I send you forth before and I told you to go with no money, no purse, and don't take an extra cloak, and wasn't everything taken care of? And they said, yes, Lord. And then he says to them in the same, same time period that evening, he says, now I'm telling you, take money and sell your extra coat and buy a sword <laughs> with it. And Peter goes, well, Lord, here are two swords. You know, so they're ready. They are ready for Jesus' warning. In case something bad's going to happen, they knew the tension was thick there in Jerusalem. They are ready to defend their Lord. And Peter says, with all sincerity, you know, if I have to die with you, I'll die for you because life doesn't mean much without you. And I hope in a very real sense, we all feel that way about Jesus, that we're willing to die for him, that nothing is more important to us than following Jesus. Because the longer... Um, we live on this world, I think we're going to come to a place more and more where we're going to be tested for our faith. And will you stand up for Jesus? Will you truly stand up for Jesus and be willing to do whatever it takes to follow Jesus? That's an important question to answer. There are Christians today who are being persecuted for their faith. There are people sitting in prisons right now for their faith in countries where they don't have the freedom that we have. 
And one day that lack of freedom is coming here. And you can already see it creeping in on us. That lack of freedom is coming where you can't think for yourself, you can't act for yourself, you have to conform to the crowd. And if you don't conform to the crowd, then you're going to be made out to be the enemy. And that's coming, and one day it will be over something more significant, like the Sabbath. It will come down to the law of God. And will you be willing to stand up for God and say, I'm not compromising my faith. I'm willing to die for you. So there's nothing wrong with Peter's sentiment of being willing to die for Jesus. But what was wrong here is he wasn't willing to listen to what Jesus was telling him. That it wasn't about dying for Jesus that was the point right now because one day Peter will die for Jesus. He's going to be crucified like Jesus was and he felt that he was not worthy to be crucified in the same manner as Jesus. So he requested of his executioners that he be crucified upside down. And that's how tradition tells us, early Christian fathers tell us that's how Peter actually died in Rome, crucified upside down. What, what's, what's happening here, though, is Jesus is giving a warning and Peter's not listening. And we know what happened. Peter did deny Jesus. He felt awful about it. He felt terrible about it. He repented of his sin and he confessed his sins. And praise God, Jesus forgave him. Amen? When we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, the Bible says. So temptation will come to all of us. It's what you do with temptation. God says he doesn't want us to yield to temptation. In 1 John 2, 1, John says, My little children, I write these things to you that you sin not. That's God's ideal for us. But as we are learning like babes to walk with God, we will stumble and we will fall. But we have an advocate, John says, with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So when you sin, you can confess, you can get back up, and you can learn how to walk more closely with Jesus. But as we follow this story, what we're going to see here is Peter's tempted three times. And I want to take you over to the book of John, the Gospel of John, because John probably gives the, uh, the cleanest outline of events as it happened. John chapter 18. Of course, John was there. Mark wasn't there. Mark got his uh, rendition of, of what happened from the others. But John was actually there. And we're going to go to John 18 and pick the story up at... Um, chapter 10, and uh, verse 10, excuse me, John 18, verse 10. And this is now in the Garden of Gethsemane. The mob has come to arrest Jesus. And Peter, who earlier said, we've got two swords, now starts using one of them. He's going to take, take care of things and protect his Lord. So we're in John 18, verse 10. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear, and the servant's name was what? What is it? Malchus. The servant's name was Malchus. Now, it's very interesting. We'll come back in just a moment. We'll find out how we know this guy's name. But here's Peter. He's, he's going to die with his Lord. He's going to fight back this mob that's come to arrest Jesus. He starts swinging it, and he cuts the guy's ear off. And you know what happened. Jesus actually reaches down and picks up that ear and miraculously puts it right back on that guy's head. Wouldn't you have loved to have seen that? That would have been an amazing thing to see. Just pick up the severed ear, blood all over the place, and he just, boop, and all the blood's gone. He's healed. Maybe the blood stays, actually, so that Malchus goes home and everybody says, what happened to you? I, I, I lost my ear, but Jesus put it back on. That would be quite the story, spreading his power. But here's what the next verse says. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into the sheath. 
shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? Very interesting words there because remember just hours before Jesus has said, now I tell you to take a sword. And Peter said, well, here are two of them. And just hours before, Peter, James, and John were within earshot of Jesus when he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and they're still there, and they hear Jesus praying, Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. And so now Jesus is saying the time has come. It's not the time for the sword. It's not the time for me to avoid trial and temptation or death. It's time to take the cup. And so Peter and the other disciples flee, it says. And verse 15, Simon Peter followed Jesus. So they, they, they flee. All the disciples, the other gospel writers say fled. And Jesus is arrested. But as Jesus is arrested, Peter and John follow. Simon Peter followed Jesus. So did another disciple. That's John. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. So you see this mob. They're rudely ushering Jesus uh, down off the, off of, out of Gethsemane on, on the uh, mountain there, across the Kidron Valley, back up to Jerusalem. They go into the city. They go to the high priest's home, and it's a, a gated courtyard. And there's a girl at the gate maintaining the gate, and they let the mob in. And John's able to go in because he knows the high priest. He's friends with the high priest. That's how we know Malchus's name because John had connections there. So he goes in, and it says, Peter stood at the door outside, because they didn't know Peter. Then the other disciple, John, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. So John goes in. He's there in the courtyard, and he realizes, he looks around. He goes, Peter's not there. He'd seen Peter earlier, and he figures Peter's still out there. So he goes back to the door. He talks to the lady keeping the door, and he says, I've got a friend here. Can he come in as well? And Peter comes in with him. Then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, you're not also one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said what? I am not. Now, it's, it's, it's not real clear to me. It may be clear to you. It's not real clear to me, though, when I read the different gospel writers of exactly when this happened. But let's suppose it happens just right then, right when, when Peter's coming in through the door, uh, John, John's known as being one of Jesus' disciples. <laughs> but she turns to Peter and said, are you, are you one of his disciples? And he says, I'm not. And I wonder if John heard that. If, if it happened right then, you would assume John heard that as well. And it must have stung John's heart. But that's Peter's first denial right there. He's not willing to stand up and confess Jesus. You know, there are times in our life where we're given opportunity to confess Jesus before others. And, and maybe, you, maybe you feel like, oh, no, I don't want to make a fool of myself. What, what are people going to say? What are they going to think? And, and maybe I'll lose influence with people. Maybe it'll be dangerous to me. If people know that I'm a Christian or a Seventh-day Adventist, maybe that's going to affect my job. Maybe that's going to affect how my neighbors look at me. You know, there's all sorts of things that will come through your head. But I'll tell you this, whenever you're tempted in any way to deny Jesus, you just know whatever that voice is in your head, it is not of God, amen? It's not of God. We can give ourselves a thousand reasons to deny our Lord and not stand up for God. A thousand reasons. You can come up with all sorts of reasons of why 
it would not be right for you to speak in behalf of the name of Jesus and identify yourself as the follower of Jesus. But let me give you one good reason that trumps all those thousand reasons. The one good reason to stand up and, and confess your Lord when you're asked about him is Jesus himself died on the cross for you. He stood up for you when no one else could stand up for you. He died for you when no one else could die for you. He resurrected and he reigns in heaven and ministers his blood on your behalf when no one else could do that. And if he can do that for us, can't we confess him? So important to confess him because those opportunities are opportunities of witness for him. And God will take care of us. There's nothing at risk when you're following Jesus except the risk of you denying him and losing out on everything he's planned for your life. So this is his first denial. We uh, go down to verse 18 now. Now the servants and officers who made a fire of coals stood there, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves, and Peter stood with them and warmed himself. So you get this picture. It's a dark night. It's cold. It's in the middle of the night, and Peter's cold, and he's over there warming himself by the fire. And now verse 25, jump down to 25. Now Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. Therefore they said to him, you are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. So this is his second denial, right? So he says, I am not. Now it's at this point, hold your finger at John 18 and go back to Mark 14 because at this point you have to pick up the, uh, where the rooster crowing starts because there are two rooster crows. And you go back to Mark 14 and verse 66. And you pick up that this is at the point where the first crow of the rooster happens. Verse 66, Mark 14. And when she saw Peter warming himself, so we just read he was warming himself at the fire, she looked at him and said, you also were with Jesus of Nazareth, but he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you're saying. And he went out on the porch and a rooster crowed. So that's the first rooster crow, two temptations, than a rooster crow. And we'll come back to that in a minute. Go back to John 18 now. John 18, verse 26. We'll continue reading there. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him whose ear Peter cut off. So this is a relative of Malchus, and Peter's the guy that cut the ear off, and there's Peter right there. You know, you don't want to mess with somebody's family. And so this is a dangerous spot for, for Peter to be in said, did not I see you in the garden with him? And Peter then denied again. It's the third temptation. And immediately a rooster crowed. So there's your, your third rooster crow, uh, second rooster crow after the third temptation. Now here's the thing when I read this that I question, why didn't Peter recall Jesus' words after the first rooster crow? I mean, he's, he's denied the Lord twice, and I'm sure that felt very foreign to him. Have you ever been caught in a situation where you're asked something and you just don't want to confess it, and the immediate thing that comes out of your mouth is not true? I won't ask you to raise your hand, because you might not be true there either. You might just keep it down, right? <laughs> that would be wise. So, so, you know, the, the, just the immediate reflex is to protect yourself. No, I didn't do that. No, that's no, not. And then you go, hmm, I just told a lie. I'm not accustomed to telling lies. I don't think Peter was accustomed to telling lies. Do you think Peter was a, a, a habitual liar? 
I mean, there are people like that, right? There are people that go around, they just tell lies all the time, and you know, oh, you can't trust anything they say. I don't think that was Peter. I think he felt under pressure. I think he felt threatened. And so the, reflex, the reflexive uh, action he took was to say, no, I, I don't know him. He, he lied. But when that rooster crowed, that rooster, I wonder if it jarred his memory. I wonder, it should have. That first rooster should have been like a, a bell. I mean, a rooster crow is hard to miss, right? How many of you live near a rooster? Any of you live near a rooster? I don't like to hear them in the morning, do you? You know, I, I, they, they can be really loud if you live close to them. And, and I don't know what this is about the sun coming up. They crow in the middle of the night. If they, if they see light or something, they'll crow in the middle of the night. They crow very early in the morning. And if you live close to them, they're very, very loud, and you want to send them to your neighbor or on your own table, have a chicken dinner, because uh, they're, they're pretty much a nuisance. I guess if you live by them after a while, you, you get used to it, uh, but I, I don't know that I would. But that rooster should have jarred something in Peter and helped him remember that, hey, wait a minute, Jesus told me, he warned me about this, but he doesn't, and so he denies the Lord the third time. Have you ever done something that you wish you just could redo it? You, you just messed up and you just say, I could have done better than that. I'm a better person than that. I want to be a better person than that. And you just wish you could just redo it. Maybe it was just a mistake. Maybe it was just a poor lack of judgment. You should have done something that was a lack of judgment. Maybe it was something where you just weren't performing well at all and you're ashamed of what you did and you wish you could redo it. I'm so thankful that even though God doesn't let us time travel back, God gives us a redo in Jesus Christ, that we can confess our sins to him, and he can change our life. And we might have to live with the scars of the past, but he can write a whole brand new future through us. And if, if, you've, if you've got a past that has a lot left you with a lot of scars, don't let the past define who you are from this day going forward. Let Jesus define who you are going forward. Because, you, you know, people can bring up your past, but you need to remind them of what Jesus has done for you as well and that he's giving you a new future. And you can be a new person, and the way you can live down the past is by living in the present, walking with Jesus Christ. And that can change everything. In fact, that's what can be a testimony. People can look at you and say, you know, this person was such and such, but now they're this. It's a miracle. I can't believe it, what God has done in their life. And that could be a testimony to God's power. And I'm sure Peter, as he reflected back on, on this night and these denials, you know that he lived with that all his life. He lived with that regret all his life. That's why he didn't feel worthy enough to be crucified in the same manner Jesus was crucified. That's why he requested to be crucified upside down. So he lived with that regret. But as you look at Peter's life, if you were able to rewind the video and go back, you'll see three things that Peter could have done differently that really could have changed the outcome for him, and he wouldn't have denied the Lord, but he would have confessed the Lord. So I want to cover those three things that Peter could have done differently that we can do. We can learn from Peter's mistakes, and we can, we can arm ourselves with these three strategies that will help us in our moments of temptation. So let's look at these three. Uh, go with me... Uh, yeah, we're in John. Why don't you go with me back to Mark? Let's look at the first one. Go back to Mark chapter 14. And there in Mark 14, we pick up the story 
where Jesus is uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane with the disciples. I believe it's Mark 14 where I want to be. It is. They're in, the, they're in the Garden of Gethsemane. So they're entering the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus has just warned Peter about his denial. And in verse 32, it says, They came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And then he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. And then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. So he brings them further into the garden, and uh, he says, I need you, I'm, I'm, I'm going through a really tough time here. I need you to watch, and we'll see in a moment. Watch and pray. I need you to pray for me. And then he goes a little further away, and he's praying. And it says in verse 35, he went a little farther and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. So after praying for a while, and the disciples, they're hearing this. That's why we're able to read these words. They remember it later, and they, they put it in the Bible. Then he came and found them sleeping. So now they're sleeping, and he comes back. And notice who he talks to. There's three of them, Peter, James, and John. Peter's the one he calls out. And he said, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into what? Temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Peter, you just told me just an hour or two before that you were going to die with me. I've asked you to watch. Now watch. We spiritualize it today. But if Jesus' life is at stake here, he needs somebody watching if anybody's going to sneak up on him and arrest him. Peter's not even watching. He's not acting as a guard to watch out for danger coming. He's sleeping. Neither is he praying, even though Jesus asked him to watch and to pray. And he says, Peter, you, you can't even watch and pray with me when I need you. And if you're not watching and praying, you're going to enter into temptation. That's the first thing Peter should have done to protect himself from temptation. He should have been watching and praying because God had warned him about a weakness he had. And he should have said, Lord, I, you just warned me about a weakness. You warned me about a specific temptation that's coming my way. He even he got, Jesus had even told him, Satan wants you. Satan wants you. And he should have been really on his guard, watching and praying for the enemy sneaking up on him. And if you go over to Luke chapter 22... And when Luke reports this, Luke adds a detail that none of the others add in Luke 22, verse 61. Right after, Jesus, right after Peter denies the Lord the third time, in fact, you read that in verse 60, Peter said, man, I do not know what you're saying. And by the way, one of the gospel writers say when Peter denied the Lord the third time, he was cursing. He was cursing. I don't know what you're saying. Immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. So the Lord heard Peter deny him. Every time we deny the Lord, the Lord hears it. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. So the Lord looks at him, and then Peter remembers the word of the Lord. You see, there, there's, this is a way that we can steal ourselves and protect ourselves from temptation. We need to watch and pray, and we need to remember the word of the Lord. We need to spend time every day in prayer and Bible study and getting Jesus firmly fixed 
in our mind's eye that we're going to go through this day with Jesus so that when we're going through the day and temptation comes, we remember Jesus is there. Did the battery die? You remember when Jesus is, is looking at you and you remember his word and you remember the scripture that you've memorized and fortified your mind with, that will give you the power and the strength to resist temptation, amen? Jesus, when he was tempted in the wilderness, how did he defeat the enemy? He said, it is written. He quoted the word of God. And the word of God became the sword of the spirit to protect him. You know, I meet people that have all sorts of things memorized. They can tell you the where the latest dress or shoes are on sale and what the price is and the great deal that they'll get. Or they can tell you who's the quarterback of all the different NFL teams or who, who has what standing and who has to win against whom to head to the, the Super Bowl. They can tell you about that in the MLB and, you know, all these sports statistics. They can tell you all that, but ask them to quote the scripture and they can't do it. So where you spend your time and your brain power can make a huge difference in your eternity. Now, some people can encompass all of that and Scripture. God bless them. That's not me. But we must not neglect the Scriptures. We must not neglect the Scriptures if we're going to overcome temptation. So that's the first thing Peter should have done to overcome. He should have remembered the word of the Lord prior. You know, if he would have just done it at the first rooster crow, that would have helped him. He could have remembered the Lord there, and he would not have denied the Lord three times. The second thing Peter could have done differently is he could have watched who he was hanging out with. You're there in Luke chapter 22. Uh, look there at verse 20, uh, verse 55, verse 55. Notice here it says, but Peter followed at a distance in verse 54. Now, when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. This is, these are the enemies of the Lord. This is the mob, the rude mob, the rough mob that came and attacked Jesus in Gethsemane and arrested him and treated him rudely on the way back to the high priest's house. This is the enemy, and Peter's sitting with them and warming himself among them, but you don't see anything about John there, do you? John's in that same courtyard, but John is shivering in the shadows and probably praying while Peter's worried about keeping himself comfortable. And so he's warming himself there at the fire. And so what I get out of this is we need to be careful who we keep as our friends, who we're comfortable around. You know, if, if Peter had not been so comfortable around these ungodly people, he wouldn't have been where they would have tempted him by asking him, aren't you one of the, the Nazarene's followers? That didn't happen to John. Because John wasn't there hobnobbing with them and fellowshipping with them. So who you hang out with can make a big difference in, in how you live your life. You know, the psalmist says in Psalm 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Who you hang out with influences you. So it's so important to keep your distance from those who are ungodly. Now, today, it's very easy to hang out with the ungodly because you can't in your pocket. You got them right in your pocket. You've got them on YouTube. You've got them on TikTok. You've got them on Instagram. You've got them on the websites. It's real easy to hang out with the ungodly 
and be corrupted by the ungodly. And so you got to be careful who you spend time with. The more time you're hanging out with the ungodly, the more they're influencing you in ungodly ways. And it's going to set you up for temptation. But if you're hanging out with God, if Peter had been with John shivering in the shadows and he had been praying for God's deliverance and God to do something mighty, I don't think Peter would have denied his Lord, do you? He would have stood strong for the Lord because he was hanging out with the wrong people. It led him down the wrong path. The third way to resist temptation is what I mentioned earlier. You have to guard against your weakness. You need to know what your personal weaknesses are, and you need to guard against your weakness. And you might say, well, Pastor, how, how do I know what my weakness is? Well, what do you keep falling into? You know, the sin that so easily besets us, it says in Hebrews 12, verse 1. So we need to find out what, what are the sins that so easily beset us? Where do I keep falling? And then that's your weakness, and that's what you have to especially guard yourself against. Peter's weakness, Jesus pinpointed, and he said, you're going to deny me. You're going to deny me. You've got a weakness there where you like to be accepted and you like to be you know, front and center. Everybody needs to like you because Peter was always the boisterous one, right? He was always the one that wanted to be right front and center. And now you're, you're, you're going to fail in that area, and you need to take special precautions, Peter. You need to watch and pray. And what Peter should have done was guard against that weakness after that first rooster crowed. He should have remembered, oh, no, Lord, the Lord told me that I was going to deny him, and he should have fled right then and gotten out of there. And it's important when you realize that you're in a spot that you're prone to sin in, the best thing to do is run. And that might be very literally to run. That might be very literally to run. You know, the Bible says, uh, it tells us in 1 Corinthians six eighteen. Flee from sexual immorality. Genesis 39, 12 talks about Joseph with Potiphar's wife. He literally ran from Potiphar's wife and has a good testimony thousands of years later because of that. Romans 13, 14 says, make no provision for the flesh. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 22, flee the evil desires of youth. So one of the strategies to overcome temptation is to learn how to run, <laughs> It's to learn how to flee temptation. Just get out of there, and if you're out of temptation's path, you won't get hit by it. But sometimes we're like the little boy. The temptation has so much appeal to us, we pack our swimming suit and we carry it along with us. It's like the man who had put on a number of pounds. His weakness was donuts. He drove by the donut shop every day on the way to work, and he thought he'd do a nice thing for his fellow employees, and so he would stop and pick up a bunch of donuts is really just an excuse for him to eat donuts but he'd bring donuts in but he got convicted that he needed to lose some weight and that would include stopping uh not not going through the donut shop anymore and so to help him overcome that temptation he announced all his workers he said you know i won't be bringing donuts anymore because i'm going to lose some weight and i'm not going to be bringing donuts well a couple weeks go by and then the the Workers are surprised to see this guy come in carrying several dozen donuts. And they say, what happened? Weren't you, uh, weren't you on a diet? And he said, no, no, you don't understand. These donuts are special. They're from the Lord. These are donuts from the Lord. And they said, what? He said, he said yeah, you know, I just, I had changed my route before. I wasn't even driving by the donut shop. But somehow today I went by the donut shop 
And as I did, these delicious donuts were just calling my name. But I prayed to God. I said, God, if you don't want me to have those donuts, then don't let me find a parking space in front of the donut store. And he said, but you know what? It was, an, it was a miracle. After driving around the store eight times, there was a parking spot right there. <laughs> you know, if you've got a weakness, don't go by the donut store. If you've got a weakness, stay away from what that is. You know, the old, the old adage, if you've got a weakness for alcohol, don't go to the bar. You know, whatever you've got the weakness for, keep yourself away from it and build up strength in the Lord. Someone once said, people who excel at resisting temptation have a secret strategy. They deliberately avoid situations in which their self-control might fail. That's, that's good counsel for all of us, isn't it? So as we end here this morning, I just want us to think about Peter. You know, Peter's story turned out good. Turned out good. He confessed his sins. He learned from his fail, failure. And he lived a righteous life for God. There was another guy that night who didn't turn out so well, and his name is Judas. He was also an apostle, and he had a weakness. He had a weakness of pride and money, and he ended up selling his Lord out. And where Peter went out and wept bitterly and confessed his sin and was later restored, Judas went out that night and hanged himself. And he has gone down in history as a, as a pitiful story of how a man can be lost. We're still writing our story, and God's grace is greater than ever, and it's abundant and free to help us have our own redos, help us learn from others, and learn that we can do three things. We can pray and study the Bible. If you've not been faithfully spending time with God every day, I want to appeal to you today the purpose in your heart that this coming year that you're going to have daily devotional time with God, whatever that means for you. That means getting up earlier, whatever it means to you. There's so many ways to spend time with God. You know, you, you can download the Ellen White books and the Bible on your device, and you can listen to it while you're showering. You can multitask. If you say you don't have time, you're eating breakfast, I hope you're taking a shower, and you, there are things that you can do that you can actually multitask, and you can listen to sermons, you can watch Hope Sabbath School, there's all sorts of stuff you can do where you can get the Word of God into your mind while you're doing something else. Better yet, just find some private, quiet time that you can just sit and read the Bible and get on your knees and pray. So I want to appeal to you to do that if you've not been doing it. And then number two, let's learn from Peter. Let's not hang out with the ungodly. Let's reduce our time with the ungodly. In fact, let's just stop our time with the ungodly and spend time with God's people. You know, you're doing right. You're here at church Sabbath morning. You're at Sabbath school. If you have a prayer meeting or small groups meeting during the week, increase your time with the godly and decrease your time with the ungodly, and you'll watch your spiritual strength go up considerably. And then lastly, don't put yourself in temptation's way. Flee your areas of weakness and make sure you walk in paths of strength. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we just want to thank you for being a merciful, loving God who knows that we're tempted, and you have patiently been bearing with uh, mankind, humankind, for thousands and thousands of years, showing us the way to walk with you. Teach us, Lord. We're all on our individual journeys and walks. 
We do have our weaknesses. Lord, help us to learn how to walk with you in strength by spending time with you, by memorizing scripture and praying, by uh, guarding against our weaknesses and hanging out with godly people. We pray this in Jesus' name.